We're going to preach again tonight out of the same text as this morning. <coughs> Daniel chapter number one. There's so much in Daniel that has that pertains to the end times that we could really preach. Not only do I think it's important for us to be ready for when all of it's over, that during these end times, I think God wants to for us to be ready to be a willing vessel that before he comes, this ought to be our greatest time. Right now ought to be the greatest time of the church's existence where God is able to use us in ways he never has before. This world is about to be ripe. I mean the souls of men are going to be ripe for harvest in some of the hurtingest times. Um, we haven't gotten there yet in America. I think we're headed there. But other nations that I'm talking to over the, over the phone and over Zoom, they're there ahead of us. They, they've got these mandates and lockdowns they, they can't go in India they're allowed one day a week to go to the marketplace one day a week they can't go to work they can't go to church I don't know how they can get anything in the marketplace if you won't let them go to work <laughs> it, 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 it just goes beyond reason to me so uh, we've been trying to send money over there to feed them and one day a week you can go to the market and tell all the rest of those pastors we got help. They meet him there and get rice and beans and whatever else he can get them. But uh, I, I've encouraged those pastors, or at least I've tried to, our day's coming. You stay encouraged. You, you keep your eyes on Jesus. Our day's coming as, as the church when people are going to have no help and no hope God is going to put his hand on you men and women. You're going to be the light of the world. God's going to do things that he did in the book of Acts. In the last days, he said, I'm going to pour out of my spirit and your sons and your daughters are going to prophesy. I heard Brother Clinton say that every revival has always come on the heels of a spiritual and moral midnight. And we're just about there. Amen. I want to be, when it comes, I want to be usable. Yes. I want to be such a man as Daniel was in our text. Daniel chapter number one, beginning with verse number eight. But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's meat, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore he requested of the prince of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. And the God had brought Daniel into favor and tender love with the princes of the eunuchs. And the prince of the eunuchs said unto Daniel, I fear, my lord the king, who hath appointed your meat and your drink. For why should he see your faces worse liking than the children which are of your sort? Then shall ye make me endanger my head to the king. Then said Daniel to Melzar, whom the prince of the eunuchs had set over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, 
Prove thy servants, I beseech thee, ten days. And let them give us pulse to eat and water to drink. Then let our countenances be looked upon before thee, and the countenance of the children that eat of the portion of the king's meat. And as thou seest, deal with thy servants. So he consented to them in this matter and proved them ten days. And at the end of ten days, their countenances appeared fairer and fatter in flesh than all the children which did eat the portion of the king's meat. Thus Melzar took away the portion of their meat and the wine that they should drink and gave them pulse. As for these four children, God gave them knowledge and skill and all learning and wisdom. And Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. Now at the end of the days that the king had said he should bring, him, bring them in, then the prince of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. And the king communed with them, and among them all was found none like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore stood they before the king. And in all matters of wisdom and understanding that the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and astrologers that were in all his realm. And Daniel continued even unto the first year. King Cyrus. When we continue to preach on the same thought as this morning, I dare to be different. Amen. I dare to be different. Father, thank you again for your word. I thank you for the testimony of the saints of God. And I pray, oh God, what you've done in them that you would do in me. I, I believe you're a God that hears and answers prayer. I pray you'll speak again to us through the word. Move and meet us at this altar tonight. Oh, God, I believe you're able to do exceeding abundantly above all I can ask or even think. I believe you're faithful, oh, God. I believe you're mighty. I believe you're a miracle worker. Yes. Do all of the above in this altar tonight, and I thank you in advance for what you're going to do. We ask it together in Jesus' name. If you love him, would you say amen? Amen. amen. Again, we talked about this morning how that God brought Daniel to a place of preeminence. We talk not necessarily about how he done it, but rather why he done it. Because Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself. We talked about that if we would purpose in our heart to walk with God and to live for God, to obey his commandments and keep his statutes, that I believe God is going to elevate us. Whatever job sites you're on, I believe God gives you favor. Yeah. Well, if you're in the classroom, I believe God gives you favor. He moves you to the top of the class. I believe God touches you and just gives you wisdom and skill and ability. Brother Ray Colton used to be in this church. He he didn't have more than a third grade education. He didn't want nobody to know it, but he couldn't read or write. If he sang, you know, songs out of the handbook, it was songs that he knew by heart. He, he couldn't read his Bible. And so he lived, literally lived spiritually off the CDs of our services. I'd freely give them to him give them to him knowing that, you know, that, that was the case with him. But I was amazed. He was my friend. I was amazed 
at God's hand on his life. He worked, few people knew, he worked for, for uh, the Werners, the turf people. And Eddie Boy was his boss. And Brother Ray had it here, how to fix stuff and how stuff was supposed to come together or be put together in his mind. He could just about fix anything or build anything. He could draw out a schematic of it and then put his hands on the right instruments and parts and build it and put it together. And it was Ray Coleman that built those sod cutting machines that mounted on them tractors and the Werners put a patent on it and ain't no telling how many millions of dollars he made them men. He, he was just telling me that and I said, are you kidding me? He said, no. He said, I drew that out years ago. He said, we, we stayed in there in the shop, you know, worked off those schematics that I drew out. We made it. We invented it. We made it. Once we got it working, got all the bugs worked out and got it working like we wanted to, he said, man, we sent that off and they started making them by the bunches. He said he sells them now all over the world. They had a boss man to come in there and for some reason he took a dislike to Brother Ray. Started giving him a hard time. Brother Ray just walked in the office one day and told Mr. Werner, he said, I had enough of your new boss. I quit. <laughs> he said, what's he doing? He said, he's riding. He won't leave me alone. I can't do nothing right. I'm not doing it the right way. I don't work fast enough for I'm not good enough for it. He said, hold on. He said, come on out here with me. He said, you're not going to quit. He walked out there, he pinned that boss man up, and he said, you see this man right here? He's the most valuable man on these grounds. He said, if anybody leaves, if anybody quits, if anybody gets fired, it ain't going to be him. It's going to be you. Don't say another word to him. He's my man. <laughs> He's my man. Don't nobody fire him. Don't nobody get on to him. Don't nobody tell him what to do but me. He's like, I marvel. That's God. That's God's hand on a man. You love God. His spirit lives in you. There's just something about a way he's got to elevate you. Yeah. Amen. He, he didn't live for the money. God knows he didn't live for prestige or position. Nobody even knew. And when they look at one of those sides, every time I go by those sides, I live right next to, across the, 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 the street on, or the road on County Road 12, close to one of their farms. Every time I see one of them tractors riding out there cutting that sod, my eyes fill up with tears. I tell him, hold on, Brother Ray, I'm coming. I'm coming to see you. He's in heaven, along with his mama. I loved him, but I, I, I was amazed at how God's hand on a man could elevate him to a position that 
people listen to what he's got to say. People take note to, to what he puts his hand to. Daniel was a man of purpose. He had purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself. As a young boy in a strange land, a teenage boy, immediately faced with a challenge to violate God's law by eating uh, meat or food offered to idols, uh, he, he could have easily looked around. There are no priests in Babylon. There's no temple to go to. There's no priest to, to pray for you. There's, there, there's nobody seeming to be pious or religious or holy. Everybody that was taken captive has conformed now to Babylon, and many of them married in with the Babylonians and created a mixed multitude, if you will. But a teenage boy purposed in his heart, it don't matter if I'm in America, China, South America, or the North Pole. If it's a sin against God, I'm walking with God. I'm not going to live contrary to God's word. He purposed in his heart. He was going to walk with God, and God seen it. God seen it. Elevated him and three of his best friends right to the top, right next to, to, to the king. And do you know eventually that the Lord through those boys uh, would win. Uh, you know, before Nebuchadnezzar died, he turned his heart to the Lord. <laughs> Amazing. Did that come by accident? Absolutely not. It come because he had a living example of the God Jehovah right at his feet every day. He knew God was real. Why? Or how did he know God was real? He knew God was real because he tried to set three of them boys on fire and they wouldn't burn. Hallelujah. Despite his youth and the pressure to conform, Daniel purposed in his heart to uphold God's word no matter what it cost him. And because of his willingness to put God first, God had granted him favor. In the sight of those around him. Daniel 1 and 9 said. God had brought Daniel into favor. And tender love with the prince of the units. How God did it is not explained. That's not the emphasis of it in Daniel's life. It was the fact that Daniel had purposed himself. And we talked about every one of us as God's people. Need to be men and women of purpose. Nobody has respect for, for somebody who's in and out, up and down, hot and cold, in one year and out the next, on fire one week and living like the world the next. They need to see you healthy or not healthy, rich or poor, with a job or without, uh, hungry or not, uh, house burnt living in a camper, house flooded out, uh, staying in a motel, don't matter. The Apostle Paul said it like this. None of these things move me. Move you from what? From following Christ. He said, I've learned how to be full. I've learned how to abound. And I've also learned how to be abased. Learn. Oh, learn it the hard way. Through experience, 
experience taught him that God's still God. And you know throughout the course of our life, we're going to run most of us, uh, the gamut's going to take us full circle. We're going to be up and down. We're going to have uh, more than we've ever had and we're going to lose it all. We're going to shout the victory and we're going to weep tears of sorrow and feel defeated. The house is going to be full and the house is going to be empty. And we're going to be brought to the place uh, God's still God. God's answered prayer for us uh, before we could get it out of our mouth uh, and we've prayed a million times uh, and never seen it answered uh, and God is still God. Daniel purposed in his heart uh, no matter what even in Babylonian bondage and captivity I'm living for God. Live or die I'm going to honor him. A strong sense of purpose in us. It breeds respect and admiration in others. We are, our lives should demand, at the very least, the respect of those around us. Brother Clinton said his next door neighbor owned the bank in town. He said, not only did I pastor the church, I had a television broadcast and he said he watched it a lot of times said he happened to be in the window one week when I was making a bank deposit he said boy I watched you preaching yesterday on that broadcast he said you sure did get excited and then people sure did get excited with you he said man I preached and shouted and jumped and run he said then people run the aisles and shouted with me he said, yes, sir, we get happy about the truth of God. He said, well, I'm going to tell you, preacher. He said, I've lived beside you a long time. He said, I told my wife while we was watching that broadcast. He said, I don't believe all that stuff he's preaching. He said, but one thing I am convinced of, she said, what's that? He said, I'm convinced he believes every word of it. <laughs> Amen. At the very least, they ought to be able to say that about us. Yeah. I don't believe in that Bible, but I believe he believes every word of it. Yeah. Church ain't for me, but I know it is for him because he's there every time the doors is open. Yeah. What should be the purpose of the Christian? We close with this. Matthew 6 and 33, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added to you, and etc. to seek the will of God and to fulfill it in our lives ought to be our purpose no matter the circumstance. As Jesus promised, this guarantees God's favor on our life. Amen. Will you dare to be a Daniel? Dare to be different, to have a purpose like he had. No matter how young you are, it's never too early to seek first the kingdom and his righteousness. No matter how old you are, it's never too late to seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Do you know the wicked king Manasseh was wicked all of his life? And in the last years of his life, he turned to God in repentance. And God honored his repentance and blessed his latter years. I want to end this thing well. That's right. 
You take a man like Uzziah, who in all the early years of his life loved God, served God, and did that which was right in the sight of God, and in the latter years of his life turned away from the Lord and died in wickedness. I'd rather him will. I'm, I'm saying it's never too late to, to turn to God and to seek first the kingdom of God. Daniel was not only a man of purpose, but he was a man of principle. He refused to compromise his conviction. As a young man, he refused to eat and drink or eat the king's meat or drink his wine. That was in verse 8. And as an old man, in Daniel chapter 5 in verses 13 through 17, he refused the gifts of Belshazzar when he offered him gifts for, for his interpretation. Under the threat of persecution by refusing to obey the decree of Darius, that no man can pray to any other God but me. And Daniel, when he knew the law, he opened up his window and knelt on his knees and prayed to the God of heaven, knowing that he was breaking the law and knowing they was going to put him to death. He was a man of principle. I am, I've been praying my whole life. I was praying when I got here and I'll be praying if you take my head off. You'll not stop me from praying to the God I know and love. Outwardly, they may ridicule him, but inwardly, they wish they had what he had. I said, outwardly, they might make fun of him, but all those other princes and all those other eunuchs that hated Daniel because God had elevated him to a place of prominence, they wish they had what he had. When they need somebody that can be trusted and depend upon to carry through with an assigned task, who do they turn to? Somebody faithful. Somebody trustworthy. Somebody that'll show up. Somebody they can count on to not just do it, but do it right. Do you know the Bible says, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. Yes. Do you know the Bible said, whatever you do, do it as unto the Lord and not unto man. Your witness and your testimony speaks of your dedication and devotion to God. If it's worth doing, it's worth doing right because God puts excellence in a man of God. Amen. God also admires individuals who stand by their principles and by their word. The psalmist declares in Psalms 15 verses 1 through 5. Lord, who shall abide in thy tabernacle? Who shall dwell in thy holy hill? He that walketh uprightly and worketh righteousness and speaketh the truth in his heart. He that backbiteth not with his tongue nor doeth evil to his neighbor nor taketh up a reproach against his neighbor in whose eyes a vile person is contemned, but he honoreth them that fear the Lord. He that sweareth to his own hurt and changeth not. He that sweareth to his own hurt and won't change. You know, I've been told as an evangelist, I'm not an evangelist, I'm a pastor, 
So it don't matter to me if somebody don't want me to come preach them a revival. I don't care. I'm a pastor. But I do love and care about the church. And if I feel like a group of people and a pastor are hungry for revival and I can help them to get there, I will go. But I, I've been often amused when other pastors and evangelists come to me and say, man, I was, you know, at uh, district council or general assembly and somebody told me, you know, they, they don't like him. Brother Eddie preaches for him all the time and Brother Eddie's his friend. And anybody that's his friend is no friend of mine. And if he preaches for him, he ain't preaching for me. <laughs> and they was telling me that. And you know what my answer was? I've been his friend to my own hurt. Yeah. I, know every, I know every reason why they don't like it. But if I'm a man's friend, I'm his friend. I'm not going to turn my back on him when I think he's in a weak moment. When I think maybe he, he's veering down a road he don't need to go down. He needs me to be his friend at that moment like no other time. As a matter of fact, uh, on one such occasion, his wife sent me a message and said, Look, uh, I, I, I need to tell you something. I don't message men, but I'm messaging you because you're my husband's friend. Don't throw my husband away. He needs you. He needs a friend like you. He needs a voice of wisdom and reason. He respects you like nobody else. Uh, be his friend. Talk to him. He'll listen to you when he won't listen to me. I'll be a man's friend to my own hurt. And I've tried to be a friend of Jesus uh, to my own hurt. Uh, do you know I love people? I love them. The Bible said, uh, you know, uh, that uh, uh, love covers a multitude of sins. I've loved people to my own hurt. But I've loved Jesus to my own hurt. If I wasn't saved, I wasn't born again, if I wasn't Pentecostal, if I wasn't so loud, if I didn't speak in tongues, if I wouldn't have church on Sunday night and Wednesday night, if I didn't preach so long, if I didn't give altar calls, if I didn't encourage, urge, or push too hard, so to speak, people would be my friend. People would come to my church. I am what I am by the grace of God. I wouldn't be here if I wasn't born again. I wouldn't be who I am if he put the fire of God in my heart. Amen. You can't be what you're not. No matter what swelling number I may have, if I wasn't true to him and true to myself, what good would I be? God's looking for men of such integrity. He that putteth not out his money to usury nor take reward against the innocent. He that doeth these things shall never be moved. I want to be a man that if I live to be 90 years old, I'm still living for God. 
Scenic Cawley is one of my heroes of the faith. Brother Tim's dad is 96 years old. And if Brother Tim's gone, he'll be in the pulpit preaching. And if Brother Tim's in the pulpit preaching at home, he'll be in the jail cell on a Sunday night preaching at the men's prison or the women's prison, living to see somebody else be born again. Sunday mornings, uh, he's there for Sunday school teaching the, you know, the, the senior men's class. Uh, if I live to be 96, uh, let me not be moved. Uh, let me be uh, a constant. Uh, let me be a reminder. God is still God and he'll always be God. Our society is in great need of people with principle. Those who dare to be a Daniel dare to be different, demonstrate by example the value of being led by principle rather than by price, or not only highly valued by God, but also by their fellow man. Having purpose and principle is not all. There's something else that God wants to put in us. He wants us to see in our text. Daniel was also a man of purity. Oh, God. That says so much to me. A man of purity. His opponents, his enemies, his accusers could not find any accusation against him. He was faultless when it came to management of his affairs. In Daniel chapter 6, it says in verses 3 and 4, Then this Daniel was preferred above the presidents and princes because an excellent spirit was in him, and the king thought to set him over the whole realm. Then the presidents and princes sought to find occasions. <laughs> I just put my own words in there, and I said, Then the Democrats sought to find an occasion against Daniel. Then the Democrats appointed a special counsel to investigate Daniel. But they could find none occasion nor fault. For as much as he was faithful, neither was there any error or fault found in him. Wow! Hallelujah! Hallelujah! Oh, when you're talking about a man of God... When you're talking about a child of God, the Bible said our life is an open epistle known and read of all men. Hallelujah. If you search my back, my old grandpa said, son, I run those roads. I preach seven and eight week revivals, but I preach the gospel for 55 years and nothing ever come home on me. I never chased another man's wife. I never touched a woman inappropriately. I never swore. I never gambled. I never did any of those things. None of that ever come to chop me down ought to ruin my testimony. A man of God's life ought to be an open epistle known and read of all men. Search him out. Walk with him. Follow behind him. And he ought to lead you to Jesus. This would help to explain his rise to position 
of great responsibility and power. His purity in his affairs was related to his overall purpose, his principle, and his purity with God. You see, if I'm right with him, he'll lead me to be right with you. If I can't ever get it right with you, something wrong with me and him. Woo! I've heard it preached that the cross of Calvary was vertical. That's my relationship with God. It also had a horizontal beam. That's my relationship with my brother and my sister. His purity in business was related to his overall purpose and his principle and ultimately his purity with God. His purpose was to please God first. The fact that as a man of principle, he could be trusted. Christians, men and women of God, ought to maintain purity in their life. It does matter how you live. If your youth pastor has to cuss every three words in order to attract and draw young people and be hip and popular in the crowd, I ain't coming to your church. And my Johnny and my Susie ain't being raised by no filthy mouth youth pastor. Not when the Bible said let no corrupt words or no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. I told Sister Jennifer a long time ago she talked to a preacher and She's just giving him her testimony. Man, it convicted his heart. It convicted him of his own life. He went to bellering out. What was wrong with the church was people like her. He let out a cuss word. And I said, Sister Jennifer, I'm just going to tell you right now, never trust a cussing preacher. Don't buy into it. I don't care how big his church is and how many services they have on Sunday. Don't trust a cussing preacher. <laughs> you can tell him, Brother Eddie said it. Our life, a life of purity of conduct means everything where our testimony is concerned. Whether young or old, 1 Timothy 4 and 12, let no man despise thy youth. But be thou an example of the believers in word, in conversation, or conversation there doesn't mean a two-way talk. Conversation in the Greek means your life or your lifestyle. In word or in Walmart, in charity, that means in love, in spirit, in faith, in purity. Let your life be an example to all believers. Whoa, we ought to be shouting right there. He told him in, in, in uh, 2 Timothy, or 1 Timothy chapter 2, whether slave or free, free or bond, you're to live for God. Amen. Let your life be an example. People who maintain purity in their dealing with others are often given position of responsibility or privilege because they can be trusted to use them wisely. He was a man of purpose, 
principle and purity. And the world needs more men like him. What ties every one of these together, and I'll close so that I can finish this message tonight, probably nothing that I've said is worth saying without this last one. Because without this last one, you'll get none of the first three or four that I've mentioned. Daniel was a man of prayer. Daniel was a man of prayer. A glimpse of his prayer life. In one verse, Daniel 6 and 10, now when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went into his house and his windows being opened in his chamber toward Jerusalem. He kneeled upon his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he did aforetime, or as he always did, or as he did every day. He knelt in prayer, a demonstration of humility. Do you know he had been made a prince? Do you know he had been made a governor? Do you know he had been made a ruler? He was second only to Darius the king when this decree was given. And Daniel knew that his prominence meant absolutely nothing to God when it come to walking or coming into the presence of God. He shed that robe and to his knees he went, showing his humility and submission to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And three times a day he sought after God and let his voice be heard. He prayed three times a day, daily, a demonstration of his continual dependence upon God. He gave thanks in the midst of persecution. He's a teenager when he got to Babylon. He's an old man. I've often wondered, would our patience have run out? You know what he's praying for? Go back home. Get out of here. Lord, visit us again and get us out of here. Do you know that while he was reading the book of Jeremiah, it come to his attention that after 70 years, God had told Israel that after 70 years, I will visit my people in a foreign land of captivity and I will cause them to return to the land of their nativity and to the land of their fathers. And he said, I determined according to the time appointed that it was time for us to go home. And he went down to the riverbank and he sat down and he said, I drank no wine and I ate no pleasant bread for the space of three weeks. Until the angel came and brought him an answer. What was he doing? He was praying and fasting that God's word would be fulfilled. 
I wonder if we had to go from 17 to however old Daniel was as an old man. 70 years plus 17. You, you do the math. 87 years old. He's been in captivity and he's prayed three times a day. Would my patience have worn out? Would your patience have worn out? Would you have compromised and become a Babylonian brand of Christianity? A Babylonian brand of what God expected you to be or would you be the man of God that he needed you to be in a foreign land that man of God sat down on the river bank at 87 years old and on the 21st day of a fast the angel of God oh Daniel highly favored and well beloved. God heard you the first day that you prayed but all of hell has tried to stop the answer from coming and do you know why the old man's praying that God's got a young man in the palace by the name of Nehemiah who's a cupbearer to the king and he said the spirit was on me and it caused me to weep and cry when I heard that my father's sepulchers were burned with fire and the gates of the city and the walls were in ruins, I couldn't help but to weep. One man's praying, a young man's weeping, and God said, I'm about to move. Hallelujah. Yeah. Kind of reminds me of your old men will dream dreams. Uh, your young men will see visions. Uh, and I will pour out of my spirit uh, in those days, saith God. An old man's praying. A young man's crying. And the children of Israel are about to go home. Yeah. Oh, that he could find me faithful as an old man. Oh, that it can stir the heart of a young man because it's time for us, church, to go home. I said it's time for us to go home. According to the word of God, it is. Amen. He gave thanks. In the midst of persecution, a demonstration of his gratitude and the fact that he hadn't lost sight of God's goodness and blessing. His prayers were custom since early days demonstrate his persistence and faithfulness in his service to God. It's not likely that his custom to pray so diligently, so often, helped him to remain a man of God. Purpose, principle, and purity, despite his rise to power and his preeminence over the empire, we'd do well as men and women of God to follow Daniel's example. To learn the lesson that the chiefest of God's servants must, must, must maintain regular and fixed prayer habits in order to continue steadfast in devotion Good. unto the Lord. I've found if you don't make a time to pray, most likely you won't pray. Right. You've got to make appointments with people if you're going to be there. If you don't make an appointment, you know what? You ain't going to be there. If somebody tells you, well, if I get time, I'll give you a holler. They ain't going to, they ain't going to have time. Somebody else is going to take the free slot. 
They're going to say, hey, you bu you busy at three? Yep, I'm busy at three. I need you to be here at three. Hey, you busy at four? Well, I think I might have a little bit. I need you. I'm putting you on the schedule here for four. Hey, can, can you be here at 530? Yeah. I can be there if I, I need you here at 5. If you don't make an appointment, you ain't getting there. Amen. You call a doctor up and say, hey, are you free on Tuesday? Yeah. The first thing you're going to ask him, what time? Give me a time. Because if somebody says, yeah, just drive by, just show up. We'll see if we can squeeze you in. Everybody else uh, got appointed a time. And you get there with no appointment. Guess what? You squeezed out. And that's what we do to God. We don't make an appointment with him. And so the world squeezes him out. We wake up and go to bed and find out that God didn't have a time in our schedule. Daniel prayed three times a day. It's obvious he made an appointment. With God, we do well to follow his example. As Christians, we're supposed to pray often. 1 Thessalonians 5, verse number 17, you know what it says? Pray without ceasing. Pray Always pray. Pray and let prayer be your habit. Pray and let prayer be your practice. Pray and let prayer dominate your life. I want, when I die, to be known by those who knew me best as a man who prayed and who prayed often. Our efforts to live purpose, a purposeful life, a principled life, a pure life are not what they should be. You can rest assured it was because our prayer life was not what it should have been. There would be the underlying cause and reason. Brother Eddie, I want to dare to be like Daniel. I want to dare to be different in this world of compromise. I'm closing tonight. Curse if you can help me. There is a false assumption that to get ahead in the world, you have to conform to the practice of the world. But even today, there are many Christians who demonstrate that if you'll be faithful to God, if you'll dare to be different, you can not only succeed in the affairs of men without selling your soul to the world, those men will actually be envious of what you have. Bill Gates got more money in some little old account, some little old savings account that he forgot he had than I'll ever earn in my whole life. But I got more victory, more anointing. More conviction of God in my pinky finger than he's probably felt in his whole life. And if you could dump that out on Bill Gates' head and let him feel what I got, he'd probably be willing to give all the money 
whole world for him. Simon the sorceress said he would have. I pay you money to teach me how to lay hands on men and then receive the Holy Ghost. Peter said, your money's going to perish with you. He said, money can't buy this. It's already been bought by Jesus Christ. It's got to be given through him. You've got to submit to him. How about you? You willing to be a Daniel? In our present day world, you willing to be different by being a man or a woman of purpose, principle, purity, and prayer. Lord, I commit in my heart and in my life to be a man or woman that's committed to you until I hear that trumpet sound. Maybe you're here tonight and you haven't been committed. Tonight's your night to change that. I told you it's never too late to put, or to put first the kingdom of God and all his righteousness. It's never too late to make a decision for God. You'll honor that tonight. Whatever mess you find yourself currently in, you'll turn it around. He'll fix it for you. He can change it instantly and completely. That's my testimony. Sister Yvonne and Brother Butch's testimony. Why can't it be your testimony? It can't be. And it will be if you'll turn to Jesus. Come on, let's find us a place to pray tonight.